You're listening to The Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for joining us. And if anybody has any uh, used diapers that have been sitting in a container with some plastics for uh, a couple of years, just send them my way. You know what I'm saying? I have a, I have a way to uh, recycle the uh, Filipino, well, they're Canadian via Philippines, uh, the dirty diapers. That is a crazy, crazy story. I would like, though, if you could, please, everyone, hold your booing. <laughs> Hold your booing to the end of the program, please, because it was another tough night for the man who loves to be loved by the people. It was booze and sparse applause as Doug Ford took the stage at the Collision Tech Conference in Toronto on Tuesday, the same day that news broke the province has slashed $24 million in artificial intelligence research. Here now is the conference's co-host last night, Sunil Sharma, as he introduces the Premier of Ontario. I'd like to introduce the Premier of Ontario, Doug Ford. Thank you for the warm welcome, my friends. Uh, not so warm. That's what that was. And my goodness, this is a huge, huge problem now for the Ford government. I am not kidding. This this is very, very serious. And you know why this is serious? Well, in this particular case, the premiers have been coming under fire for recent cuts to science and tech sectors. But remember what happened on May 15th? Doug Ford was booed by hundreds of people at the opening ceremonies of the 2019 Special Olympics. And now I want to play this for you because this is where it begins, and I don't know where it's going to end. But here's May 15th. (laughs) Boy, you know something? I haven't heard that much energy in a long time. My friends. (laughs) Boy, that's the first event I've ever had some booze. But anyways. Oh, boy. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is where Doug Ford has just handed every person that is opposed to him a cudgel to just beat him with. Now, because remember, that made news. And now this makes news. That's two in a row. This is a snowball running down down a hill. It is. And it's going to gather and get bigger and bigger. And you know what's going to happen? They're going to have to address it. And I don't know how. Somehow. The Ford government and their comms people are going to have to deal with this because every time Doug Ford shows up anywhere to cut a ribbon, to do anything, to wave, this is what is going to happen. He's going to get boo-bird all over him. Almost hit three telephone poles. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, at City Hall, here now is John Tory wigging out about the way the Ford government is handling major downloads of cuts to municipalities and silence on the issue from Toronto area Tory MPPs. Now, I I want you to hear this because this is the equivalent of John Tory's hair on fire 
It is easier to operate by issuing edicts out of Queen's Park and, 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 and strong-arming your MPPs into remaining silent while you uh, savage uh, the programs that their constituents rely on. And that's why uh, I will find it increasingly mysterious as time goes on as to why these MPPs won't themselves speak up and say, you know what, this just isn't right. Thanks very much. Savage. Mic drop. Boom! That, ladies and gentlemen... John Tory does that is John Tory cussing is what that that is the equivalent of just a just an uh, an invective is what that is that is a mic drop uh, and I want to play one more here for you here is more of John Tory with his hair on fire that is them trying to you know do their very best uh, to uh, throw up a smoke screen and take away from the fact these are real cuts. Uh, what about the gas tax? Let's talk about the gas tax. I mean, how do they explain that? Not only are they removing tens of millions of dollars of gas tax used to refurbish and make more reliable the transit system, but it is in direct violation to an election commitment they made. And they're very proud of saying promise made, promise kept. Well, this is a promise made and a promise blatantly broken. Blatantly broken. And, and they committed to it in the election campaign, and I haven't heard them uh, called upon to answer for that. Blatantly. Words on fire. Here now is Doug Ford, who's speaking to Alex Pearson, and throwing a little shade back the other way. I think they're asleep at the switch. They think uh, status quo, everything's hunky-dory, and it's not hunky-dory. They can continue spending, raising taxes. And only an irresponsible, weak leader would sit back and say, let's continue spending money. Irresponsible, weak leader. This is the level of discourse now that we have in this province between Toronto and our provincial government. And I don't, I don't think anybody thinks that's a good idea. I don't, anybody think that's a good idea? I want to quickly read you a Doug Ford email that came in, and I love the subject line of this one. It pops up in your email box. Boom, Doug Ford has sent you an email, and it just says, Hucksters! Hucksters! Let me read it to you. Alan, let me ask you a question. Do you think the liberals were doing a good job? Do you think they were spending your tax dollars the most efficient way possible? I don't. They were political crooks, nearly bankrupting the province with debt. You voted for me to fix the mess. I'm doing it. But then we've got the hucksters out there spinning lies and buying the news. CUPE, the Union for Public Sector Workers, spent big bucks to get a poll into the news. They asked if people oppose health care cuts. No surprise, everyone opposes health care cuts. I oppose health care cuts. That is my email from Doug Ford, reading to you from the great big book of Doug Ford. Today's chapter entitled Hucksters at the bottom of it. If you're with us, click right here to donate a dollar. Uh, Doug... Nobody's buying the news, my friend. All right? You commission a poll. We report that the poll has been commissioned by whomever. That applies for you, and that applies for the unions. Step off, Doug Ford. Let's do one more thing here quickly, if I can, and that is the Financial Accountability Office. The FAO releasing a report today, and my goodness, is this boring and complicated. It is dull as dull can be. I'm not going to kid, I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you. But the fact of the matter is, is you want to know what a government is doing, you follow the money. 
you look at the cash. What are they actually doing with the cash? The Financial Financial Accountability Office was created uh, as a way for the liberals to continue to have the NDP support when they were in minority. The NDP said, I, we want this. We want somebody, an independent officer, to be able to check the numbers. And it, you have to put it in place or we won't support you. We'll bring down the government. The liberals said, fine. And so th- this is where we have it right now. And I want to read to you quickly from... Uh, Rob Ferguson from the Queen's Park Bureau at the Toronto Star, who is assessing here what this report actually says. And it says Premier Doug Ford will have to find, quote-unquote, significant savings, about $6 billion in the last two years of his term to balance the budget if he plans to offer personal income tax promised in his election campaign. That according to Ontario's independent financial watchdog. And I have the report here from the FAO which predicts that the deficit is going to decrease and that basically the government does have a path to balance. However, there are all of these promises in the budget, in the 2018 budget, that don't really have any numbers. Quote-unquote, these unannounced measures, this is the Financial Accountability Officer, These unannounced measures would lead to higher deficits and add to Ontario's debt, but the government's plan to significantly hold back spending allows for the achievement of balanced budget. Blah, 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 blah. So what the point is here is that if you think you're getting a tax cut and you're getting a balanced budget, you are dreaming. You are dreaming in some kind of color. You're dreaming in blue-blurred color is what you're dreaming in. That is a big, big problem for Doug Ford going forward, folks. No kidding. Coming up on the program, we're going to talk about vegans. Did you hear this story about the Ontario vegan who said, I don't have anything I can eat, and now I'm taking that complaint to the Human Rights Tribunal? Plus, we're going to talk about uh, the RCMP in whether or not there is discrimination against Mounties with disabilities. We have a global news reporter on that case. That is all coming up. You're listening to the Alan Carter Radio Program on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Oh, hey, welcome back. Uh, I'm just being handed a piece of paper by the uh, new intern, David. Hey, David. How you doing? Just say hi. Just shout out. See, David's our new intern here. Unpaid intern. Um, dry cleaning is ready, sir. Thank you. And also, I like a, I like a wax on the car by noon. By the time the noon show is over. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. If you want to be a uh, intern on this program, you can call. Why don't you just Why don't you just call Rebecca and just say, Rebecca, I'd like to intern on the Alan Carter Radio Program and be humiliated on the air on the daily. Let's move on to veganism. Speaking of weird, weird stories. Did you see this one? This is in uh, the Canadian press yesterday. It came out. Uh, Ontario firefighter Adam Knopf alleges that his human rights were violated when he wasn't given good enough food to accommodate his vegan diet when he was fighting a fire in northern British Columbia back in 2017. Now he's filed a complaint with the Human Rights Tribunal of the of Ontario. Uh, He says that his veganism is an ethical belief and should be treated as such in the workplace. 
Uh, here's what he said, quote, On some days during my deployment to Williams Lake, I was not provided with any food that was vegan or not otherwise containing animal products, therefore was forced to go hungry. On July 20th, that he wrote, uh, The only source of protein in my dinner was a single black bean. The next two days, he had inadequate, inadequate dinners. He asked for personnel to buy tofu during one of their service runs. He got three blocks of tofu, gave it to the camp chef, but never saw the tofu again. The real breaking point, however, came following when he picked up his lunch that he alleges was only half vegan. Half of the food was not acceptable to him. He poured it out on the floor in front of the food staff and said, this is not vegan. That is when the supervisor sent him home, and the ministry claims he was sent home and suspended for three days without pay due to, quote, inappropriate, insubordinate, unprofessional, and aggressive behavior. Does he have a case? Anita Krennic is uh, from the SAVE movement. Anita, welcome to the program. Thank you. What, what is the SAVE movement? Um, the SAVE movement includes Toronto Pig SAVE and uh, 600 chapters around the world which bear witness in front of slaughterhouses. So we look pigs, cows, chickens in the eyes um, in the transport trucks before they enter a slaughterhouse. Ah, right. Uh, is, is this the organization that got into some trouble with the f- feeding of the water to the pigs? Yeah, that was me. I that mean, is you in yes. particular. All right. I recognize uh, the name. Anita, thank you so much for being on the program. You are clearly a vegan, yes. I'm guessing. Yes. Uh, and I'm going to guess that you think that this gentleman, this firefighter, has a case. I think he has a strong case. Um, is, veganism is a strongly held belief for us. It's an ethical imperative. Um, it, it just it means that we, we feel that animals have rights and we want to live on this planet in a way that we cause minimal harm. And so we don't want to participate in their killing. And, uh, you know, we eat, people eat three times a day and we, we don't want people to have violence on their plates. So are you suggesting that any kind of government employee should be provided with the opportunity to have a vegan dinner in any case where they you know, are, are, are having to provide food for them. A hundred percent. I mean, in Portugal, uh, animal rights groups uh, put together a petition, and the government then passed a law which required schools to have vegan options for students. And we're, the SAVE movement has a health-safe movement component, and we're working on that in different countries right now. So, yes, we think it should actually be legislated that people have a right to a vegan option in government institutions, schools, and other places. You're going to get some pushback on this, I'm assuming, because just on the cost alone to be able to provide all of these different options for people with various beliefs. I think the, 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 the future is vegan. Um, if, did you see the IPO offering for Beyond Meat? It, it was the most successful this year. And, I, I understand that people yeah. want to eat less meat. That is, Absolutely. That is, that is distinctly different from a strict vegan diet in which you will go hungry rather than eat something that has an animal product in it. I, I would have done the same thing as that firefighter. So I think I, 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 you know, doing something as important as firefighting requires a lot of protein, and there is clean protein out there. And he was simply looking for beans and tofu, and that, that's completely reasonable. I think he did the right thing. I think he has a strong case. And the Animal Justice Project, a, a group of 
animal rights lawyers will take on his case. Anita, thank you so much. I appreciate you being on the program and giving your perspective. I want to quickly now just move uh, to another story of potential discrimination. And for that, I have a Global News reporter, Jane Gerster, on the line. Jane, hello. Hi, how are you? Tell me about the RCMP and the allegations from disabled members of the force and and what's happening there and what your reporting has discovered. Absolutely. So the thrust of the reporting is that approximately three dozen Mounties at least allege that they have been forced out or are in the process of being forced out of the RCMP on the basis of their disability, be that ADHD, eyesight issues, PTSD as a result of on-the-job work, that sort of thing. And it's uh, stemming from some legislative changes that were made in 2014, um, part of it by Stephen Harper's Conservative government and the second part by former Commissioner um, Bob Paulson, who actually made it a removable offense to have a disability. A removable offense to have a disability, that does not seem like something that would be in the legislation that would govern uh, Canada's police force. It just doesn't seem like it squares with what everything else that's happening. Well, it's, uh, it's part of the Commissioner's Standing Orders on Employment Requirements, um, which outlines in part the reasons other than a code of conduct violation for which a Mountie can be removed. And first up is a disability. Now, I've talked to a bunch of experts, and they they have made it clear that obviously accommodating someone with disabilities is a bit of a trickier beast when it comes to policing because you have different demands. Um, but at the same time, um, a lot of these people have kind of come forward and said, you know, there are other jobs that could be doing in the force, even if I'm not able to be responding to emergency call-outs. How much of this is the RCMP saying, you know, PTSD and some of these other you know, these are, these are, how do I put it, these are afflictions that are difficult to define and pin down. And, you know, so how much of is it the force saying, well, maybe you don't really have that? It's not quite clear. I mean, the force has sent me a very long list of responses that a lot of it amounts to kind of we cannot comment on specific circumstances or individuals. Uh, And to be clear, they deny that there's any sort of um, attempt on their part to specifically remove people with disabilities. Um, And they've also been quite clear that they, you know, they, they see dismissal as a last resort and they do their very best to accommodate people and it just isn't always possible. Uh, I, I see from your reporting that the uh, force says that it's committed to accommodating the work-related needs of its employees and respecting its obligations under the Canadian Human Rights Act. That is according to a spokesperson for the force. We were just talking about uh, a case that has gone to the Ontario Human Rights Tribunal. Do we have anything going to the Human Rights Tribunal on this? Absolutely. So one of the Mounties that I spoke with, his name is uh, Richie Sue, and he's out of uh, Vancouver, and he has filed a complaint about his dismissal to the Canadian Human Rights Commission. But actually what is... Um what is kind of out of the norm for the RCMP in this case is um, two separate um, requests for judicial review to the, have been made to the federal court in the last couple of months challenging the constitutionality of the commissioner standing orders 
saying they can be removed as a result of a disability. And then in one further case, the Mountie is actually, um, he describes it as kind of a novel step because he hasn't heard of anyone else doing it yet. He has actually filed an injunction to try and block them from discharging him, and he still does work for the force. It's a great reporting, and we really appreciate it. It's important. Uh, it's an important read, and you can read it on globalnews.ca. Jane Gerster, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Next up, a topic that gets people rightly enraged, and that is illegal border crossings. And it is being used, this subject, uh, for both sides of the argument. And it often is code for thing, other things, and it's difficult sometimes to really get a sense of what is happening out there. I can tell you that recently a Dominican man attempting to walk over the border into the United States from Canada died after becoming disoriented in a marshy area of the Quebec woods. He was found dead on April 16th. Now the request to the Canada Border Service Agency to talk about this has gone um, unanswered. But to talk about the reality of what exactly the Canada Border Services Agency is doing, I am joined by Chris Alexander, Canadian politician, former diplomat, and a man who knows this file pretty darn well. Chris, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me, Alan. Give me a sense on the larger level. How much of a problem is illegal border crossing into this country or even going the other way? Well, it is a problem. Um, We haven't had this historically, but in the last couple of years, we've had a thousand, uh, I think in April of this year, it was over 2,000, and sometimes even more in the warmer months, people crossing the border illegally um, at places where it is also unsafe because in winter they're facing conditions where they get frostbite. In summer, as you were just saying, they can get disoriented, you know, places where people don't normally cover across the border. And I think the biggest issue here is that thanks to mixed messages, probably putting it charitably, from our current government, and bad policy uh, and and failure to live up to historical obligations on the part of the U.S. government, we have people crossing our border now on in fairly large numbers in ways that they didn't do in the past. And I think this is the biggest issue. Through all of our lifetimes until now, and even longer, for 200 years, you could argue, the Canada-U.S. border has been a symbol of peace and stability precisely because when people come across the border, they use a border crossing. Uh, They don't come through the woods or across fields. Now, again, thanks to bad policy by our current government and bad messages by our current prime minister, uh, that is no longer the case, and we've normalized uh, a form of illegal behavior that really shouldn't be happening, especially when we have the tools to fix this, and we've had them for the past four years. We could have prevented this uh, in, 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 in any number of ways. 
Chris Alexander is speaking with us about uh, illegal border crossing. And, and part of the numbers, and I'm quoting here from a Globe and Mail article that was published in September of last year, it looks at the border data the, from Canada Border Service Agency, and it shows that about only one in every 200 are actually deported. And part of this is the system is just so slow in dealing with those who come across the border. Exactly. I think there's a three, three levels of failure here. First, um, for those who cross the border and make claims, they've languished in a backlog that has grown. At the end, I just checked the numbers this morning. At the end of 2015, the year when we were last in office, uh, the inventory of asylum claims pending was 9,999, just under 10,000. And that was because of great efforts to lower it. This is under a new system that had been reformed. Today, end of March 2019, it stood at over 73,000. So a seven-fold increase. And that's not just because more people have been coming. It's because the Immigration and Refugee Board has not been properly resourced to hear the cases. Under the law, people who make claims are supposed to be heard within 60 days. Now it's taking years. So that is problem number one. Problem number two is, in my view, we should be receiving people who have legitimate claims to make safely at border crossings, not forcing them to go through the woods. Uh, And thirdly, this government is sending out mixed messages. On the one hand, they want to be open, take everyone who has some kind of claim. On the other hand, recently they've tightened things up uh, and, and... changed the law almost surreptitiously uh, to, to make it that people who make claims who previously made a claim in the United States or other countries that have systems like ours uh, will be sent back immediately without a hearing. We don't know what direction they're going in. And that is not good management. It's the opposite of good measurement. Now, just to conclude, the real cause of this isn't mistakes by the Canadian government. The real cause of this is 40 years of 30 to 40 years of failure to reform the U.S. immigration system. And Republicans and Democrats failed to do it. This big illegal population grew up in the United States. It became a political football. And Donald Trump, as we all know, has taken a hardline approach to this that has basically meant refugees are no longer welcome in the United States and their asylum system is not working very well. Uh, And that is forcing people to come into Canada where we do have a good system, where we have upheld our obligations. But with that happening, we have simultaneously put in place a government that isn't interested in enforcing our own laws, that isn't interested in resourcing our institutions properly, that has let a backlog grow up, that has let uh, a phenomenon of people crossing the border unsafely uh, start to happen that has never happened in the past. All right, Chris. I'm just going. We're going to have to leave it there. I have to. Uh, I have to sell some soap here on a private radio program. But I do appreciate your perspective. Thanks. That's Chris Alexander, of course, a former Canadian uh, diplomat and Canadian politician. We are back in just a moment.
I begin this next segment with some very sad news and some tough news to deliver, and that is that a colleague and a member of the Global News family has passed away. Christine Crosby, this 52 years old, died in hospital after a brief battle with cancer, only two weeks in hospital. She worked for Global News from 1997 to 2007. Here's just a snippet of some of her work. I'm Christine Crosby with weather. We can't seem to quite shake the clouds over southern Ontario and Quebec. More of that for the start of the work week. I'll have the details on Global News at 11. There she is delivering the weather, and she would go on to be a health reporter, and you may have seen her reports when sitting in waiting rooms. She had, was on a loop at one point, I remember seeing her. and She also co-hosted the first iteration of the Global News Morning Show with yours truly. The two of us getting up together and going into work and being there at the middle of the morning, 4 a.m. And we bonded over that. Consumer investigative reporter Sean O'Shea, who worked with Crosby for her entire Global News tenure, called her a terrific colleague. Christine had a bright smile and a big laugh. She lit up a room. Christine had a warm heart and was great with people, said Sean. He's absolutely true. She was a talented broadcaster, a lovely human being. She loved her job, but she loved her family the most. And this shocking news has come almost a year to the day after Christine Crosby lost her husband, Douglas Crosby. He was struck and killed while riding his bike in Leslieville on May 16, 2018. And in the aftermath of that, Christine wrote a heartfelt op-ed about what it was like to lose her partner. And tragically, she now has passed. She was always encouraging. She was always wonderful. And today, we're thinking of Marina and Davis, her kids. Christine will be greatly missed. Let's talk some Raptors, shall we? Big, big win last night for the team and Drake there, right courtside. We're going to talk about Drizzy in just a moment, but here quickly is Nick Nurse last night talking about the Raptors bench finally showing up. Yeah, I, th- I think it's um, you know probably one of the biggest uh, pluses that we've seen here in the last couple games is that we are functioning very well. Um, in the minutes, uh, Kawhi's not out there, and even tonight with Kyle and Kawhi both not out there. And that's just, again, a little bit more the way we played probably in the regular season. That is Nick Nurse talking last night post-game after the Raptors just put a stomping onto the Bucks to even up that series. And I want to talk a little bit about Kawhi Leonard here. And if you're not a basketball fan, stick with me here because we're not going to get right down into stats or anything. But what I want to talk about is why Kawhi is such a big deal and why it is that New Balance has ponied up big, big cash to sponsor him to make sure that he is part of their brand. 
You may remember this clip. We play it all the time here on the show. We just love it. This is from his very first appearance in Toronto. Kawhi Leonard was asked off the top, introduce yourself to to Torontonians and tell us, what kind of guy are you? Who are you, Kawhi? I'm a fun guy. There he is. He's a fun guy. And now, have you noticed this? Now that New Balance actually has fun guy apparel. He's embraced that. Quote, unquote, this is from the New Balance CEO, or pardon me, the Global Director of Consumer Marketing. Quote, he's in on the conversation without actually having to be replying to comments from people on Twitter. Leonard is nowhere on social media. He has no presence. He says nothing. He is absolutely quiet. And because of that, he is an absolute original. And the NBA likes originals and celebrating a player who is having an absolutely dominant postseason. All right, let's talk Drake, because this just popped up in the New York Times, and this is so interesting. If you watched the game last night, now if you don't watch it at all, Drake has courtside seats. And often he is right in on the action as if he is somehow the coach or a cheerleader. He's chirping away at the opposing team. He's rallying the troops. Last night, he actually gave Nick Nurse, who you just heard from, he gave Nick Nurse a shoulder rub. He just walks over and rubs his shoulders in the middle of the game. What? Well, this is from the New York Times today. Drake is Spike 2.0. Quoting Reggie Miller. Now, Spike Lee, you may recall, this is when the New York Knicks were any good. Uh, Spike Lee would be on courtside and he'd be chirping away. But except for now, Drake is Spike 2.0, says Reggie Miller. Uh, You know, Miller and Spike Lee had this kind of going off, this thing going on in the 1994 Eastern Conference Finals. And Miller at one point turned to Lee and put his hands around his neck to signify a choking in the game that the Knicks had lost, thanks to a late barrage by Miller. In other words, don't poke the bear. Now, 25 years later, now it's Drake. And it's Drake mocking Atanukumpo when he fouled out in the second OT the other night. Drake, his face expressionless, waved repeatedly as if he was a royal monarch to the departing Greek star. Reading here from the New York Times. Drake, in many ways, represents the new NBA. He's a different kind of super fan than the others. Then what Lee is to the Knicks or what Billy Crystal and Jack Nicholson are to Los Angeles. That's not even including all the various Wahlbergs for Boston. Drake is the dream personification of what the NBA is now. Youngish, international, credible amongst the players. Now, Drake's mission is to irritate everyone around him, especially players, and it's a testament to how accessible basketball wants to appear. This is so interesting. I think this is on the money. I'm reading from the New York Times here. Even if you need a couple thousand bucks to get the tickets that Drake had, even if you could have them. When he's courtside, Drake, in a strange way, morphs into an everyman, shamelessly mocking Atanakumpo when he fouls out of a critical game. And we all sort of identify with him as if that somehow we were there. We were drizzy, too. We could be clapping. We could be shouting obscenities or nice sort of mocking things at Atanakumpo. Drake. All right. Hit me with some more uh, Drake, shall we? We got a little ribbon read real quick. 
This is where the intern David brings me a bunch of news copy and I read it without looking at it. This is Rippin' and Readin' Ice Cold. Here we go. Aliens are hooking up with humans, says a university professor. Aliens are out there and they're procreating with humans, says a professor from the University of Oxford in England. The university student newspaper, the Oxford Student, reported that Dr. Young Hai Chi, a professor at the school's Oriental Institute, strongly believes there's a correlation between climate change and alien abductions. Sexy. Hair today, gone tomorrow. A follically challenged Spanish man died when his hair transplant operation turned out to be more than a close shave. According to the Daily Star, Raffaello Balando Marino, 39, was getting the same process used by former Manchester United star Wayne Rooney when things went wrong. Marino was administered local anesthetic at a clinic when he suffered a heart attack but died later in hospital. But he had nice hair. One more. Ripping and reading. Pakistani waiter finds fame as Game of Thrones lookalike. Until recently, this Pakistani waiter working in a small cafe of a small city knew nothing about the TV series Game of Thrones or its anti-hero character played by U.S. actor Peter Dinklage. But now, customers are asking to have selfies taken with him, and he fields constant questions about his uncanny resemblance to Dinklage. The American actor playing Tyrion Lannister. That is it. We are out of time. Ripping, reading. Boo! Boo! Boo!